0: Well, I'm really happy to be here. My name is Scott Reevley. I am part of the pastoral team at New Life Church, and trust that you're going to be encouraged this morning as we look into God's Word. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 56, Psalm 56. So we're going to read first, just to make sure that we hear from God, and then we'll See if we can't understand it and make it more practical. So Psalm 56, verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in Your bottle. Are they not in Your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, for God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to You, O God. I will render thank-offerings to You. For You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before the Lord in the light of life. Well, Psalm 56 is one of those sort of simple psalms that is precious, and the more time you spend with it, the more precious it becomes. There there are a few things that a pastor does, you know, that I I perceive my job a certain way. I perceive one of the things that I'm supposed to do is to help you not do as many stupid things. (laughs) To see if I can't help you cut down on serious mistakes. That's, That's part of my job. I don't have many tools for that. There aren't many things that I have that will help you not do stupid things. But God's Word is one of them. And I say that because fear causes us to do stupid things. I mean, think about it. I I imagine there are times in your history when you've been afraid of something and you've done things that you regret. Or, Or you're currently doing things that on your deathbed you will regret because you're afraid right now. Some of you are working way too hard because you're afraid you'll lose your job. Some of you are afraid that somebody won't like you or approve of you and so you're, you're sort of fawning over them being, well, stupid. There are lots of things that we do that cause us to make serious mistakes when we're afraid. One of those serious mistakes is to disregard the person of God and how great he is and all that he has promised to do for you in Jesus. And so what I hope to do this morning is to show you that you don't have to be afraid because God is for you. You don't have to be afraid because God ultimately will be victorious. You don't have to be afraid because you can put your trust in him. Now, I say this about doing stupid things because I'm not the first person to do stupid things when I'm afraid. Okay, We have an introduction to Psalm 56 that we didn't read earlier. It's sort of a, a title. Uh, it's, it's something added a uh, long time ago, but uh, not part of the original text. It says, To the choir master, according to the dove in the far-off terebents a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Okay, so it's meant to be sung, and, and actually we're going to sing it in, in, after the message. Uh, it, we're not going to use the tune, the dove of a far-off terebinth, because we don't know the tune, probably, thankfully. I don't know, most of us probably wouldn't like it, I don't know. But it does have sort of a longing, wistful title, doesn't it? It's a miktum of David. It's, it's a, a kind of psalm meant for us uh, as part of our instruction and learning as the people of God. Now, the occasion is when the Philistines seized him in Gath okay that's that's the setting um, in which David wrote this psalm, and so that is what makes me Think I want to warn you about doing stupid things, because this comes from First Samuel, verse uh, chapter twenty-one, and the story begins in verse ten, but it actually picks up in verse ten, because verse nine, okay, which I'm not going to show you, says that David stopped off at the gathering of the priests in Nob and asked them if they had a weapon. They said, we don't have have any weapons. Well, 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 we do have one weapon. We have the sword of Goliath. David said, give it to me. There's no sword like it. That is verse 9. Verse 10 says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of gath okay now just in that short little explanation what's not clear you do know where goliath's hometown was right goliath's hometown was gath so here comes david running from uh, afraid right he's got like he's got like an avengers weapon but he, but he's running nonetheless from Saul. He's afraid. He's running from Saul. He runs to Gath, the hometown of Goliath. And what does he do? He has to say, like, don't mind this big sword on my back. Yeah, he's doing stupid stuff because he's afraid. And it goes from bad to worse. It says, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, David is not the king of the land. Saul is the king of the land. David is the anointed king, the soon to be king. Saul is the lame duck king. Who doesn't take kindly to somebody else being anointed? You understand, and so he has been hunting David down. I'd be afraid too. But here, the servants of the uh, the king, the Philistines, tell him, "This you don't you know who this is. You can't just let him stay here." You know, you can almost read between the lines, right? Don't you recognize the sword on his back? Now, it doesn't say what Achish did necessarily, but those words had an effect on David, and David took those words to heart, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So here you've got David, number one, afraid of Saul, running for his life. Number two, now afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Okay, it's a stupid thing to take Goliath's sword to Gath. It's a stupid thing. Then, in fact, he just admits that, right? So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the door and let spittle run down his beard. The naked said to his servants, Behold, you see, this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Okay, this, this, this next line is like one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. Okay? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? So this fellow come into my house. <laughs> Do I not have enough knuckleheads around here? And so it's after that moment, most likely, uh, that David wrote the Psalm. David escaped. It tells us David escaped and he went, he went to the cave of Adullam and there in that cave, 400 men found him. Not Saul, not Achish, but 400 other men who were in debt, who were distressed, who were in trouble. They all were afraid. And they all sought out David. I think, in part, because David was able to trust in the Lord instead of being afraid. And that's what Psalm 56 is about. Now, I just want to give you a little bit on how to how to read the Psalms and how to understand them for yourselves, so that you get what um, what it's talking about, and maybe you don't need you know a, a sermon so much, right? So, Robert Godfrey in his book, Learning to Love the Psalms, says that one of the principles that you should pay attention to as you read the Psalms is the center. Right? You remember middle school English, right? You were to write the topic sentence in the top of the paragraph. Right? That's not the way that Hebrew poetry would necessarily work. He said you're to mine the center. So they would put stuff in front, stuff behind, and the center carries the great idea. Okay, the other thing that, that I always pay attention to when I'm reading the Psalms or when I'm, especially when I'm reading the Psalms, is what does the vocabulary say? What are the words there that are repeated? The refrains, the ideas that show up once, twice, several times. When I see them several times, I realize, aha, that's what the idea of this psalm is. And so what you have here in Psalm 56 is that you have essentially two stanzas, two sections, one through seven, and then eight through thirteen. And you'll notice that they're really quite symmetrical when you break it down that way. you have You could think of it as like one circle and in the middle of the circle at the equator. The key idea. Then you have eight through thirteen and you have in the middle the key idea it happens to be the same and it happens to be repeated so you can be absolutely certain what the big idea is okay when i am afraid i will trust in you okay it doesn't you don't have to be a rocket scientist to get that out of this song right that's the big idea it's the big idea on account of the structure it's a big idea on the account of the repetition and so we have here a really clear Picture that God is offering to you freedom from fear because God is for you. And so, here you have him complaining. Okay? Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me Proudly. I just want to say one thing here. You don't have to, you don't have to have enemies, you don't have to have attackers, you don't have to have oppressors to understand the Psalms. Okay. Doesn't take, again, much imagination to think, how would I feel if somebody was oppressing me? Pretty awful, right? How would I feel if, if I was worried about walking through the parking lot because someone was going to attack me? Okay. I have those feelings at other times. And when you have that kind of feeling, the psalm is for you. Okay, His, his account have, happens to be when he's fleeing from Saul, and I think this is who he's talking about here more than Achish, where he's running, where he's being oppressed and hunted. And then he says, okay, here's our first refrain. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And essentially, I want you to notice, he's not suggesting he's never afraid. Courage is not never being afraid. Courage is being afraid and acting anyway. But he says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. He is using the occasion of his fear. He is using the the moment when he gets uptight, or feels this pressure, he's using that moment to trigger a response of trust in God. Okay, Now, in all fairness, I think he's doing this after the fact. Okay, He's already done the dumb things out of fear, right? So now he's meditating. Maybe it's out of regret. Maybe it's out of a sort of analysis. What should I be doing? If I had that to do again, what would I do differently? He might be saying that but he's learning from the situation. And so he's saying, when I feel that way, I will trust in you. Okay? That's a simple response now to fear. Instead of running, instead of doing something different, instead of trying to make a hasty decision, make it go away, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can flesh do to me? And so what David is doing is he is meditating now on the word that he has from God. Okay, he's not, he's not just having this abstract thought, this, this fleeting, you know, m- moment where, oh, God is really cool. Okay, he's not off somewhere thinking that God is somehow going to help him. He has something to go on. You understand that, right? He's going on something. And what's He going on? He's going on the Word that He has from God. The Word that He has from God is is when Samuel came to Him and anointed Him the next king of Israel. He's not king yet, and so he's going to have to decide, am I going to trust God with this or am I going to take matters in my own hands? That's that's how he's processing this. And he says, I will choose to trust in the Word I have from God. Now, trust instead of being afraid. Because if what God says is true, what can Saul do to me? If what God says is true, what can Achish do to me? If what God says is true, Then he realizes that God is good for what He's promised, and He's invincible. Okay, that's that's the capsule of his own meditation. Then he goes back. It's like, okay, I I I had I felt good for a minute. Then he goes back. All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. As they have waited for my life. Okay, I'm just going to suggest to you that just because you have the right thought once doesn't mean it's gonna stay there forever. Once you just just because you get perspective that you should have doesn't mean that you'll never you know wobble again. Doesn't mean you'll never break down it doesn't mean you'll never go backwards we will and none of us are so locked in that we get it down once and we're good <laughs> instead we get it down once and then the fear hits us again and then we have to get it down again and it's like the wave after wave after wave as we respond in faith to God that's how life works It doesn't work like, hey, I went to church, I got it all nailed. Okay? For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Okay, and here, really, this in some respect is his request. Cast down the people hunting me, O God. And beyond that, he's, he's, you know, essentially giving us his meditation. Now, that's kind of the frame, okay? You've got the big idea in the middle. You've got the problems on each side of it, right? So then then he takes up this second refrain, the second stanza of his song that he's singing, and it completely changes. He says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book. Stop and think about that for a minute. You have kept count of my tossings. See, one of the things that fear does, right? Keeps you awake at night. For some reason, you wake up and... You know, I don't know if you had a scary dream or maybe you just rehearsed the things of the previous day and all of a sudden, you can't sleep. You roll over and tuck the covers in differently. still can't sleep. You toss back and you can't sleep. And he suggests here that God knows him well enough that God knows that tossing and turning. God is awake when you're trying to sleep. God is paying attention when your mind is somewhere else. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. What a precious image. See, we think, we think if I really trusted God, there would be no tears, right? We'd like to t- tell ourselves that. We, we like to hope that our life would be great and we'd never have a problem and it'd all be good. But here he, here he says, the reality of my life is there's plenty of reason to, to cry. There are plenty of tears, and every single one of them is captured by a God who cares very deeply about your pain. You see that, don't you? Why can you trust in God when you're afraid? Because you have a God who's paying attention to what's causing you that heartache. You have a God who is paying attention to what is hurting you and what is causing you to be afraid and all those things that are putting you on the run and not letting you sleep. You have God who loves you and knows what affects you. Are they not in your book? It's as though God is there caring for you, recording in, in a journal on your behalf. Bad day for Scott today. Scott needs a little encouragement today. Okay, I'll catch that other tear. Okay, you know, and he's, he's recording these things. In other words, David is probably in the cave of Adullam having run from Saul, having run from Achish, having these good-for-nothings finding him. And he realizes, here I am in this cave. Life is not how it's supposed to be. And God loves me. And God cares about this little thing. God cares about the big things, but He cares even about the little things. He goes on he says, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. Because that's a statement of confidence, you see. That's a statement of somebody in the cave who has escaped Saul, who has escaped Achish, who is recognizing that as soon as he goes out of the cave, he's going to have to escape again. And he says, my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. He says, this God who knows my tears, this God who sees me when I can't sleep, He also listens to me when I call. He also is the God who created the universe, who is King above all kings, as we saw a couple of Psalms ago, who is the One who is enthroned from of old, and he's waiting to listen when you cry out to him. My fear doesn't remind me of that. I don't naturally run to that and say, "Oh, I don't have to be afraid today because i have I have a God who will hear me I, you know, i'm never I'm never that good, right I'm always. Afraid. And it's usually until later when I realize, you know what? God hears me. God answered my prayer. He protected me. He cared for me. My enemies will turn back in the day when I call, This I know. Okay? It's not this I hope. It's not this might be true. This I know. God is for me. See, that's one of our things. We don't all really believe that, I don't think. Especially when the chips are down. Especially when we have two different kings chasing us. Right? God might be for me. If things were a little better, God would be for me. If my circumstances improved, I'd believe God's for me. You know what? That's not the case when the circumstances are awful, God is still for you. Now, that's that's the expression of David's faith in the moment. And I want to say to you that that is good. And you can be absolutely certain that God is for you. But the interesting thing that you know, David didn't have. An interesting thing that uh, isn't in the psalm is that, yes, he tells us God is for us so you can believe it, but it's better than that. See, one of the beautiful things that we have as Christians living in the time that we live in now is that we have God's Word and God's Word I praise, Right? So, what does God's Word say? God's Word tells us in the New Testament that God is for us. What then shall we say to these things? What things? The king's outside waiting to kill us, right? What things? The problems that continue to plague us. Those stupid things I did in the past. What kinds of things? All of those things. What do we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what we say. And then you have to say, Can I really be sure? Can I really be sure God is for me? See, ultimately, that's the question. If you're sure, fear isn't a problem. If you're not sure, fear is a big problem. So can you be sure? Here's here's what we're told in Romans about how to be sure. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also With Him, graciously give us all things. So you have an advantage that David didn't have. You have Jesus. You have the certainty that God has proven Himself, that He has said beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am so much for you, I give you My Son. I am so much for you, that I will put My Son on a cross so that everything that is against you has no teeth any longer. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If God is so much for you that He gave you His own Son, are you going to doubt that He's for you? When a little problem comes your way? Are you going to doubt that He's for you when somebody's angry with you? Are you going to doubt that He's for you when you uh, look at your bank account and you don't have enough to get through the month? He is for you. Period! Exclamation point. And you know He's for you because He has proven it in Jesus. And I do want to just say, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, He is the proof that God is for you. you. You can't expect that God is for you apart from Jesus. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm just sort of checking out religion and I'm not really sure, well, you still are sort of in no man's land there about God being for you. It's when you receive this gift that God's given you in Christ. When you say, you're for me? You gave me your son so that my sins won't be counted against me any longer. Really? You did that for me? Okay. And you embrace that gift from God. Then He has pledged Himself irrevocably to be for you. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've not trusted Jesus to be your Savior, He is God's guarantee that He will always be for you. For you now, for you forever. And so you can be absolutely confident when things would cause you to fear. And he goes on, and here's our refrain again, picked up a second time. In God whose word I praise, in Yahweh whose word I praise. So he picks up the refrain, in God whose word I praise, and he personalizes it using God's covenant name, the name by which God has pledged Himself to His people. And he says, in Yahweh, or in the Lord, whose word I praise. So that's one of the things I hope to, to do with this message is encourage you to know and love the word of god because he says this is the god who speaks this is the god who has something to say to me his word in his word i praise and i have to tell you i just have to stop and this is this is just a little personal thing but the last 3 mornings every morning i get up first thing i do so I read my Bible and I pray. The last three mornings, I have read um, from Isaiah I've got to get the right numbers, 46 to 56, okay over the three days. And it's amazing. I mean, I have sat there, read it with tears in my eyes, and said, "What?" I have this Word from God? You have to be kidding me. I mean, Psalm 46 just says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like Me. I declare the end from the beginning from ancient times what is still to come. That God's for me. And I read in Psalm 53 about a suffering servant who was a man of sorrows Acquainted with grief. By whose stripes I am healed. And I think, what an amazing thing that God would express His love hundreds of years before Jesus came by describing Jesus for us so that we might trust in Him more completely. And then just this morning, I couldn't even believe it. I have to preach on a, whose word I praise, right? And I come to Psalm, or Isaiah 55, which says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come and buy drink without cost. Drink from the fountain of living water. Why do you spend your effort on that which doesn't satisfy? I mean, what an invitation. I'm just I'm reading there and thinking, how can I not praise this God? And then, then I read Isaiah 55, I think it's verse 11, which says, God's Word will not return void, but it will accomplish that to which I sent it. I mean, it just was like wave after wave of reason for me to trust in God and give Him praise that that kind of God speaks to me, don't you dare ignore Him. You ignore Him to your peril and your unhappiness, I just want to say. That's the God He's putting His trust in so that He will not be afraid. What can man do to Him? See, ultimately... There is nothing that someone can do to you that will bring you eternal harm. I mean, you think about this, that God has done everything necessary to secure your life for good. I already read to you from Romans 8, but a little later in Romans 8, it suggests that what's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Neither life nor death. Okay? What else? doesn't matter what else. That's kind of everything. Right? Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the God's Word in which I praise, but what am I going to be afraid of? Even death can't ultimately hurt me. Then he gets into the he gets into the conclusion that is just so great. He says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. You do realize that to, to render a thank offering or to perform a vow, you would have to go to the tabernacle, right? With the meeting place of God, which is not in the cave of adulam." Here he is in the cave saying, you know what? Not done here in this cave, his confidence in the lord is i 'm going to perform my vows i 'm going to render thank offerings. This chapter is not the final chapter. There will be a good chapter after this one, and he says, "For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life see here's david who had walked in the shadow of the uh, the valley of the shadow of death who was in a dark cave confident that he will walk before god in the light of life that god has delivered his soul his feet from falling he will walk before God in the light of life. And again, I can't I can't talk about the Old Testament, I can't talk about the psalm without pointing you to Jesus and saying, won't you trust in Jesus? He Himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here in Psalm 56, he says, I'm confident I will walk before God in the light of life. Your confidence before God comes from the fact that He has given you His Son, Jesus. Won't you trust in Him? And as you trust in Him, He will begin to hold you secure when you would otherwise be afraid. Because he is for you. He is so for you that the most powerful kings that you can imagine aren't going to be a problem for you. That you can walk in the light of life because God will ultimately be victorious. See, ultimately, this gets us what I think to the great Christian hope, and you already read it this morning at the start of the service. But there was a, this is in Revelation. This is the last chapter. right? This, we're, we're, we're finished. And I'm just wanting to assure you that you can be confident in God because here is how it ends. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Those tears He counted, He kept in a bottle. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. There shall be no mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You might be in the cave this morning. You might be vacillating between fear and trust in the Lord, and you might even be on the offside. Today, on the on the downside, on the non-trust side. But I want to encourage you that because of what God has done for you in Christ, He has secured your soul so that you can trust in Him even when you're in the cave. Even when your circumstances have not resolved. Even when it looks like you're down on your luck. God is still for you. You can still trust Him. And ultimately, He will win and will make all things new. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, what a a precious reminder for us that You are for us. That in Christ You have pledged Yourself to love us forever, even when we fail and are fearful. So that I pray for those who really struggle with this. Pray for those who have extraordinary circumstances this morning even, that cause them to be fearful about the future, or fearful about another person, fearful about their security. God, I ask that You would be pleased. To encourage their hearts and cause them to trust in you in a way that um in a way that makes them confident even in the worst of situations. Father, we praise you that there is nothing that comes our way, that you have not permitted nothing comes our way that keeps us outside of your love and will separate us. So we confident cling to you this morning. Help us.